Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Let me tell you something. I used to have to hide my kids. Like, I'd be on a conference call outside my ugly-ass minivan, throwing goldfish, being like, no, I don't have kids. Like, almost ashamed of it. Now I'm like, yeah, I have kids. And yeah, like, it's changed. It's so, and I don't want to apologize anymore. And I feel like for me Mm -hmm. to pay it forward and tell people about my experience, it's only going to make them feel like, all right, it's okay. So if you are stuck in your career, you feel like I need more help. Like, so what? Like say it and then get the help. Our month-long focus in the last few episodes on creatives and their pivot stories culminates very nicely with Stacey Gallo, who you just heard from. She's not only accomplished, but absolutely hysterical. You're going to love this. Welcome back to Bucket List Careers. Happy to have you. I'm Crystal Laurie. Stacey has a casting career that has spanned over 20 years starting her own company in 2008. And today, Stacy Gallo Casting is one of the premier casting offices in New York City. But that wasn't how it all started, as is often the case with my guests. Her first job was in radio advertising. She took some evening acting classes along the way, had no idea how to break into the industry, and at one point even decided it was best for her to listen to her mother and grandmother and become a teacher, which according to them was a great job for a woman. Stacy explains how she fought her way back to pursuing what truly lights her up, carving out her own path that is fully aligned with her innate abilities. You've heard people say this, but I can tell you it's sincere with Stacy. Casting is not just a job for her. So how do you get to that point in your career path? We have some powerful takeaways here you don't want to miss. So let's dig into this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Stacy. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel lucky that Hillary Weintraub connected the dots with us. She obviously thought you'd be a perfect bucket list career story. Your area being in the entertainment landscape certainly checks the box of dream gig for many people. You know, this show is about cool jobs, transformations. We want to talk about what worked for you in the job you had before this, what started to become a problem, your obstacles, how you got through them, and then how you achieved your dream gig. So you've always been a creative. You've always had an interest in acting and entertainment, but you started out working at Pace University as an admissions officer. So walk me through it from there. Why that job and how you started to get closer to what you really feel is your purpose, your purpose professionally. First of all, I I love Hillary. I can't not say that because (laughs) we do work together a lot. So do I. That episode was so awesome. So I just have to give you kudos on that. All her, but thank you. I appreciate that. When I took the job at Pace, I think I was maybe 22 or 23, and it was because it was safe. It was like, okay, you should go back to school and get your master's degree, become a teacher. That's the right path for you. But I always had this dream, like, I want to be in entertainment. I thought I wanted to act. I loved actors. I never realized I was interested in casting until I was always watching movies and TV and like, where do I know that person from? And always, I didn't even know that casting was a job, to be honest. So when I was at Pace and I got the opportunity to leave work and go to Las Vegas for a week because a friend that I had met in an acting class couldn't go, she was like, do you want to take my place and go cast Spring Break MTV? And I was like, okay. So then I just didn't show up for work. But when I came back and got fired, they actually said to me, 
when you win your first Oscar, you'll thank us for firing you. And I was like, (laughs) so you were totally honest. You were like, I'm jumping at this opportunity. Are you kidding me? That was really the beginning of reality TV, right? Way back MTV doing spring break stuff like that. So you saw the potential there. You're like, I have to grab it. Yeah. And it sounded cool. Like you said, oh, this is a dream job for everyone until you do it. It's a little challenging at times. But yeah, it was this opportunity that I was like, if I don't take this, I might not ever get another chance. So I got to just tr- do it. And whatever happens, happens. Like I'm, I'm young now. I don't have the responsibility. So yes, let's just try this and see what happens. That person that you met in the acting class, was that the beginning of your interest in casting? Yeah. You know, she was trying to be a host. So she was, we were taking mm-hmm. a sitcom comedy class on a weekend because it was only a day jobs or whatever. Sure, and sure. while I was there, the teacher was a casting director and I was trying to get her to like hire me as an intern. And she kind of couldn't be bothered, which I understood. She probably gets that a million times a day, but Polly was another student in the class who said, oh, sometimes I freelance. And I didn't know what that word even was. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, now I know it very well. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> what do you do? And she said, I'm a casting assistant. Sometimes I'll help with like street casting or audiences. And would you want to try it one day? And I had so many vacation yes. days at Pace that I said, yeah, sure. So then she wasn't able to take the longer gig, which was the MTV spring break in Las Vegas. So I was like, sure. And I interviewed and it all happened so fast. But that was definitely the crazy turning point. Power of one, one person who can help you with the networking, connect you to another individual. So after you left Pace, I don't think you went to your big job at Hungry Man yet. Walk us through how you were starting to climb the ladder in casting. Okay, so... When, when I got fired from Pace, I'll just tell the truth. I love your transparency. <laughs> but again, that opened the door. It did. Right? You know what? It, and, and I just told my 16-year-old daughter this whole story the other day because mm-hmm. we were in the city and we were at my old MTV office. And she was half interested. I, I tried to keep it funny and spicy, but she was <laughs> she passed out for a few seconds while I was talking. But we won't judge her. <laughs> She's a teenager. Trust me. I've got 19, I've got 16, and I've got 14. I'm living Oh, you that. have three. See, I only have two yes. teenagers and one 10-year-old, so it's... <laughs> But still, I'm, yeah, okay. So when I came back and I got fired from, when I left Pace to pursue my dreams, that's how I'll say it. I was freelancing for a casting director who worked at MTV and he worked on random jobs and he had gotten a job at a company called Hungry Man. That's a production company based in New York, but they had offices all over. And okay. while I was there, he kept like, he would never be there. He would just kind of leave me to take care of things. And I had no experience, but I was, my personality was like, I am not going to mess this up. Like, this is my chance. So whatever I have to do, whatever I have to find, the first commercial I did that he had left me with was called ESPN Too Hot to Handle or something. (laughs) And it was this ESPN promo. Hungry Man didn't have casting there, but I was bringing in people. I don't even know how I found them. This is like off the street type thing. You were walking around. It was agents, but it was like, yeah, or or maybe just a headshot because there was no internet even then. There's no Google. It was all like crazy, like postcards and phone numbers. And I was like, like friends of friends. I was like, Hey, you're willing to be in a bikini. Cause it was like this hot. And so in one room I had like girls that were stripping down and then I <laughs> into their like bra and underwear. And then in the other room I had like these older men, like in their seventies and eighties, like it was something with like too hot to handle. And then they said, we need you to find us a jockey. And that's where it got a little crazy because we sent up a little person because we couldn't find the right height. Mm-hmm. Basically, to make a long story short, I drove 
to Queens and drove a jockey up to Bristol, Connecticut myself because we screwed it up. And I was like, I'm not screwing this up. That's right. And this was me on the phone, no internet. Hey, I need a jockey. And they're like, someone just lost a race. He wants 500 bucks. (laughs) So it was all very crazy. You were willing to do what it takes. I totally get that. Like you have to find with real people casting or any kind of casting, you have to always find creative ways to find people. I was like, I'll just connect the dots. That's what it is. I'm always trying to connect the dots. That's exactly what it is. You totally got noticed. So when I was at Hungry Man using their space, I didn't know I was, the owner was kind of like, what are you doing besides eating all our peppermint patties and bringing in like naked people and then like people jumping on tables because I didn't know what I was doing, but I had to figure it out. And then he said, I'm looking for an assistant. I had just won, he had won the Director's Guild Award. I said, I don't know what that is. It was all kind of crazy. And then I had the opportunity to either go on MTV Spring Break or take the summer, go to acting classes finally, like go to acting school and work for Brian Buckley, who owns Hungry Man. And okay. the first day on the job, he was like, I need you to write a letter to Spielberg. And I was like, Steven Spielberg? Like, is that, is this a real conversation? You were really thrown in. Really thrown in. And I, again, not the most organized person and not always the most focused, but I was like, I got to figure this out. So I was kind of his director's assistant on, he was okay. doing a commercial if he, and whatever research he needed, but I always kind of did casting for him. He's like, we need to find more interesting faces. Can you go out on the street with your camera and just find us more faces? Like I'm just up and down wherever I had to go. One time they sent me to Lancaster, Pennsylvania because they needed Amish people. And I did basically free location scouting with a camera. I almost like got myself in a lot of trouble because you can't bust out a camera in Lancaster. And, <laughs> and I'm right. going up to people and they're like, Start are you talking to like, there's a lot more efficient ways now, yeah. thank God, for the internet than... True, yeah. true. But that got you noticed that right. I think probably proved that your personality was aligned with this type of work early on. <laughs> and of course, work ethic matters. Just trying to think about what worked for you at that point. And it sounds like it was tapping into a part of your personality. Yeah. I was like, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be... An... And then I was like, maybe I just want to work with actors or maybe I just want to be in this industry. But I didn't know what that yeah. entailed until I was thrown into it. Literally. Until you were there. Okay. I ended up back at MTV and I was the head casting director on a show called VJ for a Day, which was on before TRL, which you probably have VJ heard of for it. A day. Oh, no, totally. I feel like I remember all of these TRL things. was, that's like usually what I use because I'm like, oh, Carson Daly, Total Request Live. And we had a live show on right before it. So it was all very cool and exciting, mm-hmm. but exhausting after a while. So after that, I went back to Hungry Man after 9-11 because Brian wanted in-house casting. And I had never cast a commercial before. That was pivotal. That was also pivotal because most production companies don't have in-house. But he was like, I, I want someone that's like totally devoted to my company, finding me new faces. I want to see new people, not the same people on commercials every day, like new faces. You have that go, you'll find me new people. So my first three jobs for him were PSAs trying to get like with celebrities like Billy Crystal and oh my God, Robert De Niro were in a commercial. They were like in the off. It was so insane. I can't even believe this happened. Like now talking about it. I don't even remember. It's such a blur. Surreal. But his thing was Super Bowl commercials. So my first three jobs were Super Bowl commercials. And I literally went to SAG on my first day of work. And I was like, what is the actor's union? I waited outside because I couldn't read the 700 page contract for commercials. And I was like, can you help me? 
<laughs> I don't know what this is. Yeah, no, you were really biting off a little more than you could chew, but way more. That's your theme, I think. I think, and, and it's again, I'm back to connecting the dots. I'm like, well, I got to figure this out. That's pretty impressive. So, how many years total were you there? 2001 was like, because I specifically remember it was literally right after 9 11, because everyone was like, what are we going to okay. do? How are we going to, we have to advertise, get tourism back to New York. So that, yes. that's when I started it through 2008. Because okay. 2008 was when I started my business. Was when you launched your business. But before you did that, I read in our prep work that you had made your mark with the use of improvisation yeah. in commercials, mm -hmm. which I love. I want to dig into that a little bit. Do you feel like that was your differentiator that helped you feel the confidence that you needed to start your own thing, launch Stacey Gallo Casting? I think it was a huge part of it. UCB was really becoming a very recognized name we would get breakdowns for a commercial that said, okay, we're casting for this product. We want people that have improv. We want UCB type talent. I'm sorry, forgive me. UCB stands for? Upright Citizens Brigade. So it was Amy Poehler and Matt Walsh. It was a TV show. And then they brought a theater to New York and a school and they taught like classes for years and then in LA, but they didn't have like a casting or commercial class. They just had like level one through whatever and advanced improv and sketch comedy and writing and do shows every night of the week in casting. Here's a script. Here's the idea. We want people to take this idea and make it funnier with their own ideas. So we're not asking them to rewrite it, but we're asking them to make it better. So we could say things like, have fun on this take, meaning like, make this take funny, please, because the script is just all right. So let's make it better. Yeah, it's just like a jumping off point. That became a thing, the improvisation aspect of it. Totally. So an actor named Mark Sarian approached me and my assistant at the time and said, do you want to teach this class at UCB? And it was such a great idea. And I love comedy. Like my dream when I was a kid was like, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. So I was like, that's where I wanted to even focus my attention. I was so caught up in running the day to day that I love the idea of being able to teach and work with comedic actors and show them how to use their talents to be themselves in commercials, add their unique abilities and their unique improv skills. So they have the improv, but how do you apply that to commercials? So that was a four-week class that I was teaching with my assistant at the time and Mark, the actor, it was like an, his point of view as an experienced improviser and us as casting. And we developed this class, but it was like very beginning stages. So when I left Hungry Man, I was like, you know what? A lot of actors work at night. I don't really have any like jobs yet. What if I did a daytime class? Because... There's so many people that would take classes at UCB that were not actors, but I felt like the real actors would probably take daytime classes because at night they have to go wait tables and do their thing, cater or whatever. So I said, if I teach a daytime class, I'll find the stronger talent. I just felt like when I left, wasn't the easiest breakup with the company. I was going through a lot with a, a baby and another one on the way and just not feeling necessarily the support I needed as a new mom, which was insanely crazy. But I've heard that story before. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it once or twice. I was like, you know what? This is probably how I'm going to make my mark. But maybe I didn't realize how much, but I took that with me. I was like, I'm going to teach this class. I love doing it. And I have the time to do it. And then it was born from there. And then it became a class that I co-taught with an agent. So we pivoted it to a casting director and agent class, Phil Cassess, who's like my business partner now. And you were saying during the pandemic, this was born. Silver linings. Exactly. And keeping busy during these crazy times. And he works at Stacey Gallo casting with you? Well, he works at Stuart Talent. He's a very well-respected, I'm like, you know, commercial agent. But 
when we taught our class at UCB, obviously in person for a year, I think we taught it together for eight years there. And it was a casting director perspective and an agent. And then from there, we would meet great talent that was not represented yet. He would start representing them. I would call them in, like depending on the level of who took the class. And there was always like a hidden gem in that class. So we kind of took that as like another way to like, I have directors that would say, oh, my my casting director is really hooked in with improv talent in New York because it's not just UCB. It's all over. There's tons of places where people take improv classes. And this was a really great way to kind of market myself and be like, oh, right. we need this type of talent. She'll be able to get it for us. Brilliant. So tell me about what it's like running a premier casting office in New York City now. What are the obstacles that you have now? I'm sure there were some pandemic pivots, right? I mean, I talked to people about their pivot in their careers, but almost everyone had to do something differently in the pandemic. What do you feel like we could learn from in terms of how you navigated obstacle wise? I hate to say that I liked the pandemic. I think a lot of people probably feel that they miss the slowdown because we weren't doing things efficiently before. I was burning the candle, not even at both ends, at like 75 ends, because if that's even a thing, how do you do that? I don't know. But I was literally like commuting sometimes three hours home. It was insane. And now that I can do it this way, I miss seeing people in person, obviously, but I think there are much more cost-effective and efficient ways to do what we do. And we can still work with actors online. Like I have virtual castings going on on my my Zoom account in the other room. Are you doing a hybrid model with your employees? How is that changed now? Unfortunately, a lot of studios have closed down. They just couldn't stay. And so not needing a studio every day is huge. I think the hybrid model is exactly what it is. And I always tell my staff because most of the people that freelance and work freelance, my favorite word, that work for me do live in the city and it's easier for them. But just that pressure of them saying like, oh, I can't come in today, but I can just hop online is nice to be able to do both. Or if there's an actor that they love and they're traveling in Atlanta, oh, okay, just hop on when you can. It's not the same as being in person, but I think it's added a lot of time into my life. And I've also come to accept this whole overall, like this situation we're in has happened to everybody. So I try not to get like, so bent out of shape. Like if we have to keep pivoting where it's like, okay, we thought we were going to be in person here, but now, you know, COVID's on the rise again. So we can't be okay. Like back to the problem solving, we'll figure it out. So this isn't like, oh, my child is falling behind in school because of the pandemic. Just me. This only happened to me. It happened to everybody. So it's like, just kind of got to chill out a little bit. (laughs) Like that's part of the, the industry. And and what we do, I just try to tackle everything with like, let's just not freak out about it and figure it out. So I feel bad for actors though. I feel like there's a lot on them and a lot of pressure with self-tapes. That's really kind Mm. of overwhelming for them. And that's been a big adjustment. Sure. Some of it's great. Like some of the stuff, the creativity in some of the auditions, we'll be texting at night. Like my... He's not really my assistant. I don't think he would like me quite. He's, he is, but he's like my right and left hand person. I love him so much. Yeah, yeah, but we'll yeah. be like, oh my God, did you see so-and-so's audition? Like these actors are amazing. The creativity that they're adding to their self-tapes and that's cool. But there's some, like we're doing an audition now and I can't say what the product's for, but it's, let's just say, let's call it like a pharmaceutical prostate thingy. We'll just call it that. So it's it's not the strongest audition that I feel terrible, but like those are painful. And right. we're doing those virtually because we're trying to help actors that don't have the means to self-tape. 
But everyone having to schlep on a subway, like it doesn't really make sense. This is much easier. Pros and cons for sure. Yeah. Where we're headed with this. It's all so interesting. And I'm looking at the clock like, oh my God, how are we already getting to the end of the allotted time? So I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to have to do a part two, but I feel like I need to just get that takeaways portion from you. Sure where you tell me what you think your most powerful piece or pieces of advice are for anybody reinventing, pivoting, trying to find purpose in their career. Yeah. Pay it forward, right? Tell someone about your experience. Be transparent. Tell them the bad stuff. Tell them the good stuff because chances are something that you're feeling or experiencing someone else has. When you were younger and you would listen to a song and you were like, oh my God, why do I love this song? It's because you can relate to it. So I have this like no filter thing that goes on. You just want someone to feel like they can relate to you. So I just say whatever. I have a friend who's started another business and she's like, I'm having such a hard time. I said something my dad always says to me. One advice that I actually really have to take is like work smarter, not harder. It's okay to say I need help. It's okay to be like, okay. So Gary, who's my my guy who works with me, He doesn't have children. He has dogs, actually a dog right now. He lives with his husband in Manhattan and he has different responsibilities in his life than I do. But he laughs all the time. He's like, you're always in CVS. You're always talking to 700 people, but you're always working. You're crazy. But when we were at Hungry Man together, it was like, you have to come to the office. That's it. You're here from 9 a.m. till whenever, sometimes 4 a.m. And that's the job. And like, you like it? It's like, if you don't want this job, someone else does because this is entertainment. It makes you cool. But let me tell you something. I used to have to hide my kids. Like I'd be on a conference call outside my ugly ass minivan, throwing goldfish, being like, no, I don't have kids. Like almost ashamed of it. Now I'm like, yeah, I have kids. And yeah, like it's changed. It's so, and I don't want to apologize anymore. And I feel like for me Mm -hmm. to pay it forward and tell people about my experience, it's only going to make them feel like, all right, it's okay. So if you are stuck in your career, you feel like, I need more help. Like, so what? Like say it and then get the help. I I just feel like it's so important to stop apologizing so much because I did it for way too long. Like, yeah, I can't be here because my kid's sick or I can't be here because I have too much going on. Like, it's just, it's so difficult to try to do it on your own. And this is a whole other conversation, but I created this show with some other women called Blunt based on this whole idea, which I still want to have made, but it was, I went to the pot conference in Vegas in 2019 in December, and then the pandemic hit. And it was like, there's no excuse like this show and this idea needs to happen. It could still happen. What's the concept of Blunt that you would uh, get some women together to talk about unapologetically, you know, how hard it is to balance everything? Yeah, or, basically. And then in a comedic way. Yeah. Obviously, the way I say it is not funny, but, but if you, you were to great. describe it, it but would you be funny. You said our tagline. I almost feel like you said it exactly. <laughs> not apologizing. I mean, there's there's shows that we've compared it to, but it's it's about this woman that like has to go off on her own, but she moves to Colorado to be close to her person, her best friend in the whole world, because that's who she can tell everything to. But she has this way of disarming somebody. Like if if, mm. if I'm scared to say how I feel, but then I tell you what I'm thinking, like, okay, now I can tell ah, you. Yeah, I'm yeah, freaking yeah. out I get too. That. So Macy, the character in the show, she basically says whatever she's thinking at all times. So it makes other people feel comfortable enough to do the same. And then it's it's paying it forward. It's saying, listen, I get it. Me too. I've been there. And it's so hard and it sucks and it might get better, but it might not neither. But let's just laugh about it. Then give me again, just what you think the most powerful piece of advice is from Stacey Gallo. 
I have these notebooks I got in my favorite stories called Amazing Savings. And I kind of teach my classes. I've sent this to some actors, but I've started to like really repeat this. Like if I'm on my Peloton bike and I can only do 10 minutes, I say, it's okay, you are enough. So I think it's like, you are enough. Be yourself. Like, especially in the type of acting that I teach in the classes, I'm like, I want to have a conversation like this. I want to know exactly who you are. I don't want you to ever read me your resume. And whatever you're doing in life, like if if you're having a bad day and today you're not going to do anything, like that's okay. Don't apologize and just say, okay, repeat my mantra. Like I have a little beaded bracelet that words project and I bought it for myself. Actually, my mom did buy it for me because I was like, get me this when you're in Nordstrom. So I'll pick it up. It says I am enough. <laughs> but I look at it and I'm like, okay, I am enough. I am enough. I'm doing everything that I can. So I think, I think that's like my favorite saying. No, that's I bought a necklace in Target that says it. You are enough. Love that. I'm going to give you a notebook. So where can we follow you? I know you're on a number of platforms, including TikTok, which I'm excited to follow you on. Yeah, that's the daunting area. I know. I know. I mean, my oldest has like 80,000 followers. I'm like, okay, let's, I don't even. follow me? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. If you look up Stacey Gallo casting, you'll find it all. But I think Instagram is Stacey Gallo cast. Okay. And then TikTok is just Stacey Gallo casting. And then I have a website. Go to the website. It's the first place to start. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing. I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I love when I click with guests like that. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Bucket List Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie, your host. This gig just gets better and better. And with your support, we are growing. Be sure to rate, review, or share an episode that speaks to you. And I will... Be back next week with another episode for you. In the meantime, be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.